Lauren Taylor, where are you at? Did you hear it ring out as I said that? It's like, oh man, she's in trouble. Now come on up here. Take this mic right here. Now Lauren, we most of us know, I want to just make sure that the whole congregation knows, but um, most of us know that you are headed for some place at some point. And so you've been raising money. You've been selling t-shirts. You've been sending Facebook posts relentlessly. I almost unfriended you because of that. <laughs> Not really. I wouldn't have done that. But, but the reality is that you've, you've been doing this. You've been doggedly pursuing this for a reason. What are you going to do? Where are you going? Um, in September on the 12th, I will be headed to Ethiopia. And I will be working in a school teaching and just hanging out with the kids and really just showing them Christ's love. Okay, great. So tell me... In September, when is the last day we're going to see you or about the last day we're going to see you? Uh, towards the end of August, like August 25th. Okay. Okay. So the last time she's with us, we're going to gather around her and pray, and we're going to commission her and send her. It's one of the blessings of our church is that we've become, even at, at this stage of life, we have become a sending church. We are constantly sending people places um, to, to share Christ's love and to, to tell his story. And so it's a, it's a great blessing. We'll gather around her, and we'll pray and send her off and commission her for that. In the meantime... You have some opportunity. Your trip's paid for. You've raised the money. You've sold enough T-shirts. You've bugged enough people on Facebook. You've raised the money. Your trip is paid for. But there is some opportunity that you have to bless these children further. What? Tell us about that. Um, on the weekends, we actually go out into the city, and we'll be hanging out with people that are not just in the school, so not just the kids, but people within the city. Uh, so one of the opportunities I have is to bring money that will actually meet the needs of those people. Um, so if I run into someone who needs a pair of shoes... If I have that money, I can go get them a pair of shoes and help them out. So I'm just looking to be able to meet those needs. And on top of that, we have a list of things they need at the school. Okay, um, like supplies that the school would use? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, a lot of it's like VHS and DVDs to teach gotcha. the kids English. Um, they can be cartoons, whatever, uh, books, uh, clothes. I mean, a lot of it's actually things that they could use outside of school as well. Okay. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, in, in light of this, we have an opportunity to bless some people we'll never get to meet, but we get to love them like Jesus has loved us. And so as, as she goes, she kind of gets to be our emissary as she's Christ's emissary. And so we can send her with some money, and we can send her with a list of goods that she has. You have about 100 pounds of room, is that right? Let's go with 75 and be okay. safe. I don't know how much stuff I need, but 75 pounds hey, of room, yeah. Hey, cut it down. It's for the kids. <laughs> That leaves me with bring the carry-on stuff. Just bring your, flop, bring, bring your flip-flops and just be done with it. All you, right, that's all deal. you need. So, okay, so, so no real, okay, so 75 pounds worth of stuff that she can bring with her. And we will be sending in your announcements this week. If you're on the email list, you'll, you'll see it. You'll have a link that you can pull up a PDF of the needs that the school has. But there's more than that. There's opportunities for her to bless people and just reach out to them and share, share with them the, the way we've been blessed and, and bless them in that way to to give her a platform to preach the gospel from. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, we will be taking up an offering. If you'd like to give something to that, then as you, as you give your own offering or as you give your tithes or, or even if you aren't scheduled or you give online, put the money in an envelope that's back there by the tithe box, right, for um, Lauren Taylor's trip, and, and we'll make sure that she gets that money and can take it with her, and, and we'll just pray, continue to pray that she's a blessing to these people and that they see Christ in her. So. Thanks for coming up and sharing. I know this is not your favorite thing. But. <laughs> All right. We will be praying for you. Okay. So today, as, as we get started into the message, there, there is a lot to cover. 
and, and so, again, like last week, we had a lot of verses to read through. We're going to have that a lot of verses to read through again today. And, 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 and I'm going to highlight some of the stuff that we've gone over because there's a lot of threads that we're going to draw together and pick up at this place where we've been. I, and I've said this every week. If you have missed out on these messages, they build on one another. So please take time and go listen to them online. I am, I'm not trying to boost our online listening. That's not what this is about. The, the reality is to gain all that you can from this. I, I, I think you would be best served if you'd go online and, and just listen to the sermons uh, so that you can hear all of the different perspectives that are presented. But as we've done this, we have built really two perspectives on the work of salvation. Jesus has taught the bread of life discourse, and we've been working through it bit by bit. And as we've done that, we have gained really two perspectives on eternal life or, the, or God's work of salvation. And, and one of those perspectives is a, a personal perspective. It's a perspective that we all can, all can we, we all hold it. We, we all experience it. And the first of those points was that, or the first of those perspectives was the reality of our depravity. The rea- that rhymes, the reality of our depravity. I wrote that down and didn't even notice it until I said it out loud. Reality of our depravity. There's a flow to that. The, the reality is it shouldn't make us feel good, though. We are broken, sinful people. Jesus shows these Jews that have come to him seeking him, people who we, we would call seekers in our, our culture. They've come to him seeking him with false motives, and these motives reveal the brokenness of these people. You see, we're not just sinful by choice. We are sinful all the way down deep in the depths of who we are. And so the very things that move us to action are driven from selfish, sinful desires. We are depraved, broken, sinful people. That's that first perspective, and we all have that perspective because if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, at some point in your life, you have realized, I am sinful and need a Savior. It doesn't happen any other way. But the second thing he showed us that's a personal perspective is that you can't trust yourself, but instead need to trust someone who's trustworthy. That's right, I said you're not trustworthy. You feel that? You can't trust yourself. You're depraved, you're sinful, you're broken. You are untrustworthy. Your efforts will fail you. Your works, your, your beliefs, your, in fact, all of a Christian's life is repentance. That's what Martin Luther said as he started the, the Reformation. All of a believer's life is one of repentance. That means all of your life, you will be admitting, I was wrong. I have to change my mind. And quit believing or hoping or longing for this thing and begin believing and hoping and trusting and, and longing for this thing. All of a believer's life. Man, that's tough news, isn't it? But we all are there. If you are believing in Jesus Christ at some point, whether it's by process like we see with most of the apostles or if it's that moment like that Pauline moment where he's riding a horse and God shows up and the light shines and he's knocked off his horse and he's blinded. That's my story. I was walking along, thought I was fine. In fact, I could tell you all the answers. I could lie to you all day long just so you'd leave me alone. And one day in the midst of my lie, God showed up and knocked me on my tail. See, I'm using my filter, baby. (laughs) Knocked me on my tail. Sorry. (laughs) Totally, totally not necessary. But as that happened, I learned that he is trustworthy. And that my faith, which I was a faithful, faithful person before. I had all kind of beliefs before. 
But my faith gained substance as Jesus became its object. You see that? It meant something. It had power. It had teeth. It, 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 it brought real fruit. We all experience that. And when we proclaim the gospel, that's what we call people to. Trust in Jesus. You, trust in Jesus. You're a sinner. Trust in Jesus. That's that, that's that common perspective that we all have. But here's what happened. is Jesus didn't stop with those personal perspectives that we gain in salvation. You see, he began, as he taught through the Bread of Life discourse, he began to give us a divine perspective. It's almost like we're looking outside out of the window and into the mountains, and we have this view that we can see some, we can see some pretty amazing things. We can see some beautiful things. But in the Bread of Life discourse, Jesus comes inside, brings us outside, and allows us to see the majestic heights of his work of salvation. This big, huge, beautiful, eternal work that he has been at doing since before the foundations of the world. And, and that first perspective he showed us was that God chose some to be saved because we were depraved and we couldn't earn it, we couldn't figure it out, we couldn't do anything, we couldn't trust ourselves or our own perspectives. God comes in and chooses some. I'll reinforce that with a verse in just a minute, but he chose some to be saved. The second perspective that we see as, as he teaches that was the one we dealt with last week was that Jesus' work is available to everyone. We can go out and proclaim it as loudly and as, as authentically as possible, trusting that if anyone believes, whoever believes will be given eternal life. But Jesus' work is definitely applied to some. His work is definitely applied to those that God has chosen to save. We saw it clearly last week. Again, I, I would encourage you to go listen to that message. You see, God, the, the, the work that God has made available, the salvation that God has made available through Jesus Christ, it is definitely applied to those God chose. What was, what was sufficient for the sins of the world is efficient and efficacious for God's people. And we gain those perspectives and, and, we, and we see it. And Jesus, man, he's, he talks very specifically and with certainty about his people. He doesn't say they might come to him. They will come to him. And, that, and, and in my heart, man, that, that pushes a question that draws me to a place. Well, how, how can he speak with such certainty about me, who I, who, who, who I am, depraved and sinful? How can he be so sure that I will come to him? How can he know that, that he speaks with no doubt that his people will be saved? He said we could draw from his eternal existence. We could say, well, Jesus has always been. The Bible teaches that. God is omnipresent, omniscient. He's omnipresent, present everywhere at all times. Omniscient knows all things. He doesn't have to learn. And omnipotent, well, man, I'm omnipotent. <laughs> Sorry, all-powerful. He is omnipowerful is almost what I said. He's all-powerful. He, he, can, he can do anything within his nature. There's nothing that he finds undoable. But how can he be so sure with people like you and me who are so desperately depraved? You see, Jesus, as he teaches through this bread of life discourse, he doesn't 
push back and say, well, because I know all things and have been all places already. He doesn't say that because I have existed outside of time, all that's going to happen for you is already a present reality for me. He doesn't push back on that. But he does teach and answer that question. And that's really the question we're going to be dealing with today. That's the perspective that we're going to gain today. That God, as he has, confident, or as he has sovereignly chosen some, those he has chosen, he becomes simply irresistible to. He becomes irresistible to you. And, and that's the perspective that Jesus teaches. This, this is not a totally new concept. There's all kinds of things in our, cre- in, in our culture, in our, in our lives that seem irresistible to us. In fact, for some people, food becomes irresistible. And I typed in irresistible, and this is one of the pictures that popped up this cake with like molten chocolate coming out. Yeah, see, I mean, some of us, that, oh, look at me. You think I didn't want that piece of cake when I saw it? Mmm. Man, you put some ice cream melting on the top of that. If they'd had a picture of that, that's what I'd have used. There's some of us, some of us are moved by gadgets and technology. And so as soon as you see an apple with a bite taken out of it, oh, got to have that next thing. I, in fact, on one of the pictures I saw that as I typed in Irresistible, I came across, uh, I guess they're already developing the, the iPhone 6. How many of you have already pre-ordered it? We just got the 5, man. But the 6 is already in production. They've already got a concept for it. You know, the, the reality is some of us, fine, we're just drawn to that. And, and don't be mistaken. Don't be mistaken. The people who advertise these things know how to mess with your desires. They know that on Saturday morning, kids are going to be watching TV, and that's when they put on all those little silly toy commercials, and they make them look so fun. And kids are just, man, i got to have that. And they play with it once, and it's not really as fun as the commercial made it look, and it ends up in a closet. Or, 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 you know, and I'm not trying to be sexy. This is, this is your advertising, advertising geniuses. They promote, uh, they, they promote household supplies to, to women to make it look like it makes their lives easier. I'm not saying men shouldn't be doing household work, but I'm just saying that advertisers do that. And they make it look like, oh, this is going to make my life so easy. You know what? Housework is still housework. <laughs> Preach it, right? That's exactly right. But that's the reality. They know how to toy with you. They know how to, to, to work with your desires. They, they know this is a real thing. Our desires move us to things. It, it causes us to, to, to long for something. It causes us to go for it and to pursue it and give energy and effort for it. We spend money, massive amounts of money on the things that they cause us to desire. See, like moths to a flame, we're drawn to these things that we desire. What happens to the moth? No, Harry, no! Don't look at the light! I can't help it. It's so beautiful. It's not a good ending, is it? Like moths to a flame. They draw us. They, they give us hope in these things. Because they understand our nature. 
They understand what's inside of us. They understand that we hope and we long for and we look for satisfaction. And so they draw us to this place of consumption that we're never satisfied in anything because now the next thing is there. It's available. How in the world could Christ speak of people like this with such certainty that we will come? You see, through Christ, God's grace becomes irresistible to those who've been chosen by him. Let me just show you this in the passages that we've already been in, just to give some highlight and some review. He says in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is making this general offering. He's saying, whoever comes is going to be eternally satisfied. I've got something for you that nothing else will ever replace. You will never long for anything ever again. You don't need the iPhone 6 because I'm enough. You don't need the chocolate cake with the ice cream on top because I'm enough. You'll, you'll recognize that the flame is dangerous. Come to me, he says. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. In John 6, 37, he says, All that the Father gives me. That, that, that it denotes that God owns us. He, he has us. You can't give something away that's not yours. And we talked about that. That's the doctrine of election. God chose some to give to Jesus. All that the Father gives me will Come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. It's here we see Jesus get much more specific about the whoever. He makes the general claim. He makes the general call. But Jesus didn't come to make general claims and general calls. He came to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to save those who he has been given, to not let one of them go. You see, the reality is, is that Jesus knows the the specifics of the whoever. He knows who that whoever applies to. Two weeks ago, I showed you this verse, and I, I told you that within it there are three divine perspectives revealed. There's three divine ideas of salvation revealed in it. The first one was that, 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 that perspective of election. And the second one is this, is that it's not a might come, it's not a could come or should come, it's a will come. You will come to Jesus if God has chosen you to be saved. It's a difficult thing for people to, to deal with at times. It's a difficult perspective for us to hold, but that's the heart of what we call, as a doctrine, irresistible grace. And, and this is where the question arises. This is where the question comes, how can he guarantee that? John 6, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Anyone who comes to Jesus has been drawn by the Father. No one will come to him without being drawn. There is a divine attraction placed in the hearts of people that attracts them to Jesus. If you are saved, if you've trusted in Jesus, you were drawn to him by the Father. That's a difficult doctrine. It's a difficult, difficult perspective in our culture, in our context. See, we're... We're, we're a democratic nation. We get a voice in what we do. We're a free people. Nobody's telling me what I'm doing. Nobody's going to make me do anything. I'm no robot. 
There are no exceptions. No one can come any other way. And those drawn will come. They will be saved. Irresistible grace. It's the overwhelming goodness of God compelling those chosen by the Father to trust in Jesus as they are given life by the Holy Spirit. See, this is what happens. You didn't even know it occurred, but that's what's happened. We're going we're gonna to put this back in the context. I've, I've given you some information. We're going to put this back in the context so that we can see it, it working out practically and see how it happens in, in people's lives. And, and this passage, this teaching that Jesus goes through, the, the bread of life doctrine, it gives us the perfect example. Because in it, we see two groups of people repeatedly all the way through it. We see two groups of people. One On the, on the one hand, we have those who have heard Jesus. They were with Jesus. They were following Jesus because they'd seen his miracles. They were following him and seeking him out because they ate that miraculous meal of the bread and the fish, you know, where Jesus took five loaves and two fish, and he fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. They ate that, and then the next day they're looking for Jesus. we got to have more bread. So they find him. They've experienced his blessing. They've, they've, they have experienced goodness from him, but definitely won't respond to him. Not in a faithful way. I guess they respond, but they reject. But the second group of people are those who will hear, and they will respond positively. They will trust in Jesus because they've been given to Jesus or drawn by Jesus, drawn to Jesus by the Father. And these verses, the emphasis, let me, let, me, let me just share this with you. In these verses, the emphasis is on the work of the Father. Now, don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. Your response is absolutely imperative. Your faith, your believing is absolutely imperative. Three or four weeks ago, I told you maybe the most important verse that you and I can learn in the New Testament is John 6, 29. Because it, it, it shows us the very one thing that we're to constantly and consistently be practicing and growing in. The work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. So your response is absolutely imperative. But the rest of this passage is all about God doing a work to give you something to believe in. And bringing you to a place in which you can believe. See, th those God has not chosen or drawn will reject Jesus. Those God has not chosen or drawn to himself will reject Jesus. Those he has chosen or drawn will trust Jesus. That's God's work. We see it through this passage. Like election, it's a, it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing for us to accept. It's a difficult thing for us to comprehend and, and, and bring together with our perspectives of what we've experienced in salvation. But remember, what we experience in salvation is just one small piece of, of the entire thing. In our culture, it's almost her heresy to, to remove the aspect of free will. But that's not what this doctrine does. This doctrine is about removing free will. It's about people being enabled to have a real will to choose God. Let me just, let me just show that to you. Let me show you how it practically works out. We're going to be in John 6, chap, chapter 6, verse 52. A lot to read here. We're going to read basically down through the end of the chapter. It'll be through verse 59. 
And, and you'll see these two groups of people being, being, being flushed out again. And we'll, you'll, you'll see people who are rejecting and who are trusting in Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I'm going to stop right there. I can, I, I can hear it already. If, if Jesus existed today and he took this teaching out onto the streets, our church growth people would be just up in arms. What are you thinking talking like this to people? you got to eat flesh and drink blood. Nobody's going to get that. you got to come with these special words. Here's the track you need to be using. This is the only way you need Romans Road. That's the way you get saved, Romans Road. I can hear it. People frustrated. But, but all the way through, Jesus had been using this metaphor, this, this metaphor with which he likened his body to bread that we eat that ties back into Jewish history and Jewish culture where they were given manna in the desert. And then sticking with the metaphor, he says, to have eternal life, you have to eat me and drink my blood. Jesus said these things, verse 59. He said these things at the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, I mean, we can't really blame them for that, right? This is a hard saying. I mean, just imagine if, if the dinner tonight that we're having, you know, the, this church family dinner, and we're, we're coming to encourage you guys and just thank you for your service and, and talk to you about the health and where we're at and where we're headed. Hey, for dinner, we're serving a little bit of Seth. If you want to come and you want to be a part of our church, a member of our church, you got to eat. I'm going to give you a piece of me. How many are coming? None. See, that shouldn't surprise us that they didn't get it, right? Because in their mind, I mean, you, in their mind, they're thinking, this guy has given us, well, we, we like the idea of this bread that satisfies forever. In fact, they said, give us this bread always. I like that. I want that bread that satisfies. Well, that bread is me. And to be satisfied eternally, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute. We're not cannibals. We don't even eat pork. We're definitely not going to start in on human. It's not going to happen. We can't blame them for being upset and confused. But Jesus, man, this is the beauty of Jesus. He always knows the right thing to say at the right time. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Does this bother you? Is it, are you upset by this? Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? That's a claim of divine existence. I came down from heaven. I have seen the Father. He's already said that to them. I, what, what if you saw me ascending to there? How would you feel about it then? I think you're offended now. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning. It, it doesn't mean the beginning of this little paragraph. It means from the very moment that they walked up and said, where did you come from? How did you get here? He knew who didn't believe. He knew the moment he began to teach them who didn't believe and who it was that would betray him. He knew that in his midst, and he says it later, he knew in his midst was Judas, the one who would turn him over. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now here's the response. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I, you, you need to get the picture of this. Jesus had thousands of people seeking him out. Estimates of, of, of somewhere around 20,000 people the day before eating the, the miraculous meal of five loaves and two fish. We don't know how many of them sought him out the next day, but we can make the assumption that thousands of them are following and looking for him and finding him here at the synagogue, and they're wanting to hear from him, and they're wanting to trust in him until he says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And Jesus goes, in that moment, Jesus goes from thousands of followers to what I think, because of the text, we can assume is just around a dozen. He says, after this, many, after, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, don't miss out on the importance of the faithful response. But don't put so much weight on your faithful response that you miss out on the work of God that brought you to that place. You see that? You see, what we see happening in this passage is that these two groups of people all of a sudden are brought to a place of decision. They're brought to a fork in the road. Jesus gives them a teaching, and, and, and by all accounts, it's not one that I would probably use, but it's his words. And these Jews, they don't like it. But those who have been with him and following him would look nowhere else. What's the difference? I think there's two key passages, two key phrases, two key, key verses in this teaching that I think help us see the difference. First, in verse 63, he says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And the words I have spoken are spirit and life. See, Jesus has been speaking spiritual truths using physical illustrations. It's no different than me saying, hey, what happens to the moth? And a video playing about a moth flying into a flame or into a, to a bug zapper and dying. It's a, it's, it's, a spirit, it's a spiritual truth illustrated by something physical in our world. If, if this is, if it's, if it's interpreted completely from a physical, fleshly standpoint, let's leave. I'm not about to take a bite out of a guy. I'm not going to drink his blood. That doesn't sound good to me at all. There's no, that's not even desirable. I don't want that. <laughs> but he presented this spiritual truth 
contextualized in parables and teachings, and he did that all the time. All the time. In, in many cases, he would say things like, if you have ears to hear, then hear it. In, in fact, if you remember in our series through the seven churches in Revelation, over and over and over after every letter was finished, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. You see, he recognizes that just because he teaches this, not everybody's going to understand it. But he said to his apostles at one point in particular, he had just taught on the, the parable of the soils about the four soils and the, and the farmer throwing seed and the different impact that it has as the seed hits the different soils. He says, you've been blessed because you've been given eyes to see and ears to hear the spiritual truth. See, the point is, is that Jesus is teaching, it's only ever going to be understood by people who have life. And life comes not as a result of intellect. Hear the verse again. The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Life comes not as a result of intellect, will, or effort, or anything else in our flesh, but is a work of the Spirit of God. The, the ESV Study Bible, let me just give you this quote. The ESV Study Bible makes note here. The Holy Spirit works powerfully in and through the words that Jesus speaks. And those words are spirit and life in the sense that they work in the unseen spiritual realm and awaken genuine spiritual life. Here's what happened to you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, let me share with you and give you some perspective what happened to you. You heard the gospel message. You heard someone tell you you were a sinner and that you were in need of a Savior. Before the foundations of the world, the Bible teaches us that you were chosen. You didn't know that, but you hear it, and all of a sudden it clicks and makes sense. And the Holy Spirit has done something in that moment. He has given you life to hear and, and spiritual life to be able to respond. You see, the life through the words of, 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 through God's word, proclaimed, the Spirit comes in, changes us, makes us alive. See, all of mankind is spiritually dead. Zombies are super popular today, right? I mean, the, the show Walking Dead, I don't know if you guys watch that or not. I've, I've watched a season or two, and it's, you know, it's just that zombies are all the rage. I watch my kids play video games shooting zombies. I mean, it used to be, you know, you go and you, you fight against other War or, or other soldiers on, on modern warfare and, and Call of Duty and that stuff, but now they're always shooting zombies. It's the big thing. And, the, and what we don't recognize is that all of us, as we walk around in this life, we are walking dead. We are living, breathing corpses. The moment you come out from your mother's womb, you're a living, breathing corpse, spiritually dead. Until the Spirit comes in by the power of God through His proclaimed word and wakens you to life. That's what happened to every person that claims faith in Christ. I mean, for us, just, just so you, I don't know what that does in you and what that makes you think, but the reality is, is that maybe what you should be thinking is, thank you, God, because I, I wouldn't have figured it out any other way. Thank you, Father, for doing such a great thing in me, someone so undeserving. But the next thing, I, I told you there's two perspectives I think that are important to help us see what happens. So the first, I think what happens is, is that these apostles were made alive by the Spirit. 
And those that rejected Jesus were left spiritually dead. In verse 65, the second perspective I think that is important, no one can come unless it's granted by the Father. Something has to be done to change us. Something has to be done to bring life into our death. No one comes to Christ or trusts in him unless that faith and their life are granted to them by God the Father. Until that happens, we will continue to reject. Until that happens, spiritual truths will go by us without even recognizing them. We will think that Jesus is calling us to cannibalism. We'll miss it. But once it happens, once that moment occurs, we, like Peter, will see the truth about Jesus. And we'll trust him as our Savior. We'll follow him as our Lord. Where else will we look? You have the words of eternal life. We will worship him as God. We know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, there's a distinct difference. But that response comes as a result of the work that's done in them. So people reject Jesus. Here, let me, let me summarize it in this way. People reject Jesus not because what he offers is undesirable. Everybody, hey man, I love the idea of eternal life. I love the idea of a utopia that I can die and go to. I want that. People reject Jesus not because what he offers is undesirable, but because their nature perceives it as unbelievable. See, we're stuck. We, we have free will. Every person in the world absolutely has free will. And I know there's some Calvinists in the room that are cringing. Oh, did he just really say that? Man, absolutely. Absolutely, I said it. But that free will is bound by a nature that's dead. It has no life. So people who reject Jesus freely, absolutely, unconditionally reject him because they are dead and unable to respond in faith. They freely choose to reject this wonderful offering. They, they don't, they, oh, I can't have life because I'd rather have something else. I'd rather have my iPhone. I'd rather have my food. I'd rather have whatever it is than trusting in Jesus. And people who trust in Jesus, they, they trust in Jesus when they are given spiritual life with spiritual ears to hear spiritual teaching. You see, when the Spirit comes in and, and brings life, it's the doctrine of regeneration. When the Holy Spirit comes in and brings life and regenerates a person, gives them, gives them life in the midst of their death, they freely choose, they long to choose Jesus. What else would we do? You see, the, 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 the nature of the moth leads it into the flame. The nature of those made alive by the Spirit are led into Christ. His grace becomes irresistible to those he wakes up to the truth of their salvation and eternal life. Irresistible, undeniable goodness that comes as a result of God's choosing faith in Jesus and the work of the Spirit. Thank you, Father. For those that are believers today, I, there's a very practical, providential, I believe, or example or application for us as you sit here beyond the gratitude. Our church, and, and for you visiting, you'll, you'll maybe hear us talk about this some, but our church has, has, uh, has started a, a pray-by-name initiative. 
And over the next six to eight weeks, this is not a six to eight week thing. This is something we're going to focus on and, and challenge people to, for, I don't know, until we quit, I guess. But the reality is for the next six to eight weeks, we're challenging people to, to, to pray intentionally by, uh, by, by name for certain people, certain individuals. Now, this very week, as, as I send, I've sent encouragements the last couple of weeks and just some, um, some, some stuff that you can read on and think about as you're praying for these people that they can come to know Christ. The, the one this week just happened to be, it was by no plan, by no invention of my own, just so happened to be that the reality is as you pray, we're not just asking and hoping you'll pray, but you'll be praying that they'll be saved and that you'll have opportunities to share the truth of Jesus with them. Here's the beauty of this message. Would you have understood Jesus that day when he said, if you want to, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood? That message would have been almost obscure to most of us because it's not something in our context and culture. We would, it would have been, if God hadn't done something to wake us up, we would have missed it, just like the rest of those Jews. You see, the, the reality is this. Your message and your ability to share perfectly polished messages and, and, and gospel presentations is not the end of the hope that person has. It's the power of the Spirit in those words. You, like Jesus, have the power of God unto salvation because you have the gospel message. Jesus died for you. He paid your debt on the cross. He rose again on the third day, giving you the hope of eternal life. And the reason I understand that, the reason you understand that, is because the Spirit has quickened our hearts and shown us the truth. You see, when people reject you, it's not because they don't like you. Well, it might be, but that's probably a whole other issue. It's because they can't understand. You have nothing to lose in sharing the gospel. You have, you, you, there, there's nothing that they can do to take away from you or hurt you. And if you don't say it exactly right, or in a way that everybody understands, trust this. God will save those he's chosen to save, and they will come with an irresistible attraction to him. Now, does that mean I want you to just go out there sloppily saying stuff? No, I, we want to equip you. I mean, we're not like that. Go out there and make a fool of yourself. Come tell us the stories, and we'll laugh about it together. I do it all the time. We, we do have some booklets, and, and they're all over the place. It's called The Story. You can find it online. There's an app for your iPhone. It's, just a, it, it's a great little explanation of God's work of redemption and restoration as he created, shows our fall into sin, and shows his plan to redeem and restore and make all things new. Read it a few times. You don't have to sit somebody down and walk them page by page. Just tell them the story. Read it a few times. Get familiar and tell them the story, praying that the Spirit moves and brings life through your words. Because they're not just your words. They're God's words. That's the practical. I, 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 don't, I don't know that there's any more practical, providential moment that we've ever had in this church this is it. The people you're praying for, go tell them, trusting that the Spirit will bring life to those He's chosen to bring life to. If you're not a believer today, if you're here and you're seeking and longing for something and, and, and know that there's more out there, hear these words. I am praying for you. I've been praying for you all the way through this series. 
that you would providentially hear and be made alive by the Spirit. Jesus died for you. You can have life by believing in him. And that life will leave you satisfied forever and ever and ever. Trust in Jesus. There is no other way. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you. I thank you for the work that you've done that's made us ready to believe. That's made us able to believe. That's changed us so, so completely, enabling us to this point. God, I pray that as we struggle with, with the deeper truths, with the bigger truths, God, I, I pray as I am at times ineptly uh, or, or insufficiently explaining divine perspectives, I pray, God, that you'd work beyond that. Bring confidence in our doubts of your truth, God. I just pray that you would, it would bring us to this place that we recognize the bigness and the beauty and the majesty of who you are and what you've done. God, that you would move in us and encourage us, embolden us to be those people that proclaim this message, trusting that as we do, you will do what you've always said you want to do. You'll save your people. You'll redeem your people. God, I pray for those here today that may not be trusting in you now. I, I pray, Father, that you would bring them life. You'd wake them up to their sin and their brokenness and their fallenness. That you'd show them the idols of their life, the things that they hope in and long for and, 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 and find satisfaction in and destroy those in front of them, Father. Give them a picture of your son standing as their king, as their savior, as their Lord. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.